Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Blue South. We've got another exciting discussion in store for you today as we analyze the effects of current political and social justice movements on pro sports. But first, we have an exciting announcement to make. The Blue South is currently looking to hire another podcast host with the same responsibilities as the current members. For more information, you can check out the link tree in our bio on Instagram for access to job requirements and the application form. But first, here are some recent news headlines. After a much-awaited announcement, Joe Biden selected Kamala Harris to be his running mate yesterday. The move was generally praised throughout the Democratic Party, with many believing that she will draw suburban women to the Democratic side. She is the third woman to be nominated to a major party ticket after Sarah Palin and Geraldine Ferraro, and the first woman of South Asian descent to be nominated to a major party ticket as well. I really like this decision. Um, and it really speaks to Joe Biden's character, right? So, it, you know, in the beginning, in the debates, Kamala Harris really hammered Joe Biden on busing. And people thought that there was no way that Kamala could be uh, Joe Biden's running mate. But um, Joe Biden saw the, saw her strength and her charisma in those debates. And, she, and he decided that she would be the most effective person to help govern with him. Um, And that's and that's totally different from Trump, right, who wants everybody to stroke his ego. So go ahead, Paul. Right. Exactly. And um, um, to add more to that point, more to her strengths, um, she ran a strong campaign despite not in the end achieving the nomination. She ran a very strong presidential campaign. She definitely has experience. She definitely has brings the charisma to the duo, knows how to engage with an audience. And I believe it was Rice. Pardon me if I'm wrong. Rice from Florida. I think that Um, might have been Val Demings, actually. Val Demings. Pardon me. Um, she, while she would have definitely helped uh, bring Florida closer to the blue side, uh, is she not an appointed official as opposed to an elected official? Because Harris knows how to run a successful campaign, right? She knows how to deal with scrutiny and media attention and how to interact with reporters. And, you know, I guess you just didn't see the same sort of thing for some of the other candidates. For me personally, I per- I personally would have liked a more progressive uh, vice president to help uh, for well, for me personally, I, I really liked uh, uh, more progressive uh, policies and ideas such as the Green New Deal and stuff like that. So I would have preferred a more uh, progressive uh, vice president in order to counteract uh, Biden's moderacy. But I'm still very, very happy of his decision because, like you said, Kamala Harris, she's a very, very strong woman. And she is a very, very, very good candidate that could deal Biden or and Trump, sorry, lots of lots of pain. But in other news, uh, Congress has been locked in a stalemate regarding a new round of stimulus checks. The main conflict revolves around the amount of money that is to be sent out, with Democrats proposing more money to be sent out. Republicans are proposing uh, checks similar in amount to the earlier CARES Act, which was passed in March. So President Trump has attempted to uh, uh, skirt Congress by enacting an executive order meant to provide some form of aid to Americans, but this move has been accused of being an overreach of executive authority. So what do you guys think about this? Um, well, I, you know, this is, you know, people have been kind of in a, in a deadlock right now in Congress. Um, Democrats and Republicans just haven't been able to strike a deal yet. Um, and I find it kind of, I mean, I kind of, I kind of find it hypocritical because the Republicans are praising Trump's executive order, right? But when Obama tried to do those kinds of things and, you know, that were kind of oversteps of executive authority, 
they they called they screamed at him saying he was a dictator. But when Trump does it, right? And then when Trump when Trump does an executive order that kind of bypasses Congress, they're like whatever and they praise it. So that's my thoughts. Right, exactly. And this oftentimes speaks to the true intentions and, like you said, hypocrisy on the side of the Republican Party. And not to draw like a, you know, draw broad conclusions here, but a lot of what we're seeing with this and in other cases, um. A lot of times the receptiveness of, in effect, both sides to certain policies simply depends on the little letter next to the guy who proposes it, D or R, right? Because we've seen in the past Republicans introduce certain uh, potential policies that Democrats shoot down and vice versa. Yet further on down the road, a representative of their own party uh, brings up the exact same topic and the side shows unanimous support. And I think it really speaks to how dangerous polarization is, right. you know, currently in government when it's you're simply playing off by color. Of course. And as we all know, Trump is trying to do too much with his power, which uh, we all know he doesn't have. And he's definitely trying to overreach uh, the amount of power that he definitely has. Um, the United States has agreed to a $1.525 billion deal with Moderna, pardon me for not pronouncing that correctly, for 100 million doses of its, of its experimental COVID-19 vaccine. While it has not been approved yet, it is currently undergoing phase three clinical trials and is widely expected to be available by the end of the year. Aside from Moderna, the U.S. government has also made deals with other companies, notably Pfizer and Janssen. For their vaccines, which are also in clinical trials, uh, according to the World Health Organization, there are 28 COVID-19 vaccines in human trials, and any one of them can provide the reprieve that countries so desperately need. Now, before we start discussing this, I would just like to highlight my sheer frustration at, um, you know, I wouldn't necessarily say libertarian solely, but... um in colloquial terms, boogaloo boys, those who, whenever the government proposes a mandate on something, automatically campaign against it, regardless of content. Um, it's this sort of just blind, what's the word? Um, headstrong. They're so headstrong. And I think if the vaccine were to be mandated or if the vaccine were to be in some way, shape or form enforced, we would see a lot of pushback from people saying that the government is doing too much. And I think that in itself is very dangerous pertaining to the current state of the nation. Of course, yeah. And uh, I would just like to add that it's really, really, really good that we are coming up with a vaccine and that there are 28 in trials, but we can't lock onto one of them without testing the rest of them. You know, like uh, Trump was praising hydro hydroxychloroquine, right? Uh, he immediately latched onto that. And uh, that definitely was not a good decision. And we can't have one of those things happening again. So we can't have... Uh, we can't latch on to any one of those vaccines. And we have to continue wearing our masks because that is definitely essential because that will slow the spread uh, until we have that vaccine completely developed. Yeah, And I'm really glad that um, there are 28 COVID-19 vaccines in human trials right now because it means that there's going to be at least it means we're going to get one at least that, that will work. Hope, hopefully. <laughs> hopefully. Hopefully by the, um, by the end of this year, that's the, um, like, like, it, like Paul said, that's the goal. Um, and you know, this could be a really, this could really save um, a lot of lives and 
we're I, I'm just I'm just glad that so many companies have taken the initiative on this. So yeah. Right, exactly. And uh you know, in the case of um there being a valid COVID nineteen vaccine, well we're gonna this is gonna bring light to a whole new set of issues. Like I said before, the the extreme, you know, partisan libertarians as well as those who may not have act sufficient access to you know, the centers where the vaccine could be provided. Mm -hmm. um, while every cloud has a silver lining, and in this case, silver lining comes with a cloud, you know, we're facing a whole new set of problems once the vaccine is introduced. However, those are nowhere near as bad as the persistence of the pandemic, as we know. Right. Well, now it's time to get into our main topic for the week. How the present culture pertaining to racial and social equality has transcended into the world of sports. We'll start with the NFL, Daniel. All right. So as you guys all know, the NFL is huge and it is huge in America, right? Uh, almost like I watch the NFL. Ronan, I know you watch the NFL. Uh, yeah. It's really big in everyone's lives. So Go what wild. happens uh, when we take uh, protesting and we take uh, issues that are happening in America all around us, and we combine it with the NFL. Well, in August 14 of 2016, a San Francisco 49ers football player uh, by the name of Colin Kaepernick was protesting before his preseason game and kneeled during the anthem. Now, this was a huge, huge story because he was met with harsh criticism, including by Donald Trump. Uh, Donald Trump actually tweeted out, uh, we should be standing up straight and tall, ideally with a salute or a hand on a heart. There are other things you can protest, but not our great American flag. No kneeling. So that's what he wrote in 2016. And I think he would change his statement now because looking around, so many people, including uh, Drew Brees, uh, New Orleans State's quarterback, he has completely uh, decided to start kneeling and many of other athletes are following suit behind him uh, because of the Black Lives Matter movement. And Kaepernick, to this day, is unemployed. Guys, what do you think about this? Yeah, well, this, was, this was the biggest of... Paul, you go ahead. Sorry. Well, no. I, all I was going to say was just sort of irrelevant. Uh, kudos to Drew Brees, of course, using his uh, you know, massive platform and following to uh, bring about uh, positive reinforcement, right? Um, I've never been a big Saints fan. I'm a Wild fan. But, I mean... Vikings fan, pardon me. They're probably still salty about the Minneapolis miracle, but you know, kudos to him, right? <laughs> um, so my my whole thing about this is, you know, this is a huge. This was a huge issue when it first happened, and it, and it kind of is right now. Um, and you know, people, uh, you know, people on the right started criticizing it because they thought it was being disrespectful to the troops and that it, you know, blah 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 blah. And I I don't believe that. I don't buy that. And Paul Paul and Daniel don't buy that either. Um, you know, the, our, soul, our, our military um, fights to protect our rights to do things just like this. So uh, I think this is, this is a form of expression. This is a form of expression that's protected by the First Amendment. And it's a great way to draw attention to legitimate social issues that are plaguing our country right now. So I, fi I find it shameful that Kaepernick um, is unemployed. I think, they, I think people use the term blackballing to kind of, which was the term use, uh, that was used to describe the way that the NFL owners um, prevented Kaepernick from being signed. Um, and yeah, I just find it appalling and I think he should be back in the league. Yeah. But not only that, uh, I think if you guys remember, Nike actually did a deal with him where he became the cover athlete for Nike and he actually brought a lot of light to this issue. 
uh, because Nike partnered with him. And that shows you that even companies are uh, for the Black Lives Matter movement, which it's really good that they are siding with Kaepernick and uh, not with the the big the billionaires and uh, Trump and stuff like that. So yeah. it's really, really good to see that companies like Nike, who are the face of sports, are standing with Ka- Ka- uh, Kaepernick. <laughs> right. And uh, now on to the NHL. Now, I'm a pretty big hockey fan. And um, to a degree not seen before, uh, players are kneeling for the United States national anthem and speaking out publicly on fighting racism with official backing from the NHL, the National Hockey League. Minnesota Wild forward Matt Dumba walked to center ice before an NHL game this month and addressed the television audience not about the game, but the need to sport, need for the sport to fight racism. Now, the NHL has been unfortunately rocked by numerous racist incidents. For example, in April, a group Zoom chat organized by the Rangers to introduce fans to some draft prospects was derailed by hackers hurling racist slurs against them. Three months earlier, the American Hockey League suspended Brandon Manning of the Bakersfield Condors for using racist insults against uh, another player of the Ontario Reign. Unfortunately, this, um, this story doesn't end here. Late in 2019, the former NHL player Akeem Aliou, I pardon me if I'm not pronouncing that correctly, went public with a series of racist incidents directed towards him, including a blackface incident. Now, more than two months after the killing of George Floyd and the protest movement it engendered, the NHL has begun a high-profile effort to make sure anti-racism is a part of its identity. Um, NHL executive Kim Davis, part of a strategy, um, introduced a strategy to appeal to a younger, more racially diverse and socially progressive audience, has described this as a small shift, but a big shift. Now, the display put on by Matt Dumba, uh, kneeling before the star-spangled banner wearing a hoodie that read Hockey Diversity Alliance, um, a nod to the new initiative begun by players combat racism for the sport, in my opinion, is a step in the right direction. Uh, Chicago goaltender Malcolm Subham, a uh, man of color, along with Dumba, stood next to him and laid a right, land a hit on his right shoulder, and uh, as did Edmonton forward Darnell Nurse. Um, unfortunately, there is a discrepancy here. Uh, missing from any inch of the arena was the mention of the movement that has come to define the last several months, Black Lives Matter. Now, the words and racism were um, leaned on quite heavily during this, uh, at this time, as well as has- the hashtag, we skate for black lives. However, it is unclear as to why exactly the NHL is avoiding the direct Black Lives Matter moniker. Now, b- before, before we go on to discuss this further in depth, I just want to say that I'm not complaining. Hockey in general, like I, a few incidents of which I exemplified, has been effectively scarred with racist incidents more so than, in my opinion, the majority of other popular sports in America. And for them to come out with this uh, spectacle, in a sense, is uh, honestly beautiful, right? Well, yeah. I do believe we need to bring the actual Black Lives Matter movement onto the ice, um, I can't complain, right? Yeah. And I find it very interesting because, as you guys probably know, Canadians make up a large portion of the players in the NHL. Um, and for them to be taking a stand for this movement is very um, heartening. 
um, because it shows that they're also they understand the plight of uh, people of color in this country as well. So I find that very and of course um, we we all know the the general managers and the executives are really the ones who are controlling the NHL, not the players, which is, in my opinion, why they are not voicing their support for the BLM, because it's becoming more about what the executives and the general managers, no matter what support you go to, uh, it's about what they want, not necessarily what the players want right, and what exactly. the players believe. And I think that's really, that's really the problem. And I think, I think to an extent we can speculate as to why, the direct affiliation with the Black Lives Matter moniker was not present. And that is, um, well, you know, hockey in general, and I don't mean to cry stereotype here, but hockey in general does apply a lot of, um, you know, sort of uh, cliche, more traditional, possibly uh, redneck fans to the ice. I mean, if, even in, up in Minnesota, like I've been, I've been to quite a few, um, you know, um, not been to, I've seen quite a few, you know, Minnesota wild games on TV, Mm -hmm. um stuff like that you know the, just the type of people you see there may not directly endorse such a movement and i think in general the nhl wants to avoid uh direct affiliation with any sort of you know political entity left or right yeah um but yeah let's let's move on to um nba basketball now this has gotten a lot of attention since um ever since they started playing in the bubble in orlando so in the wake of the killing of George Floyd, the NBA announced that they would allow players to wear phrases related to social justice on the back of their jerseys. This new form of expression debuted in the NBA restart in the Orlando quarantine bubble, like I mentioned um, a couple seconds earlier. Um, multiple NBA stars have been outspoken in their support for the Black Lives Matter movement, which with names such as LeBron James, Jalen Brown, Paul George, and Donovan Mitchell speaking out about the issues facing the African-American community. In every NBA game, jerseys with the phrases Black Lives Matter, Say Her Name, Education Reform, I Can't Breathe, Respect Us, and Vote are commonplace with the goal of making fans around the world aware of the social issues plaguing America. And that's very important because the NBA has um, a worldwide fan base um, in China and uh, you know, in Europe as well, even in places like Africa where, we get, where they draw a lot of talent from. Uh, they have a very... Uh, um, tall platform or a very large platform so by spreading that message it really uh increases the attention um uh that of the suffering that black people have to endure here so i find that very i find that awesome and then um all um and then all this marks a dramatic shift in the nba with coaches front office executives and nba leadership advocating for the blm movement and other social justice movements. The NBA leadership, Adam Silver, he's the commissioner. He's been very supportive of um, the steps taken by uh, individual players to draw attention to their cause. And it's not yet clear if the steps um, taken by the NBA will continue indefinitely or just for the remainder of the season. But it does mark it does mark a huge step forward for professional sports in the field of social justice. And you know, this is the um, this this can kind of be used as an example for other professional sports teams. Um, when there's when their season starts up soon and i would also like to mention that you know lebron james um arguably the best player um in the world right now and and uh, uh numerous other athletes formed an organization called more than a vote and it's aimed to protect black voting rights um other stars such as trey young draymond green even even stars from the wnba um like skylar diggins smith um 
and Jalen Rose, who is an NBA commentator, they're, they're just a few of the other athletes involved in more than a vote. So you see a lot of these organizations springing up um, in the wake of George Floyd's killing, and these are spearheaded by NBA players, and they're taking a stand. Um, and, it's, and it's a unique opportunity for them because they haven't really been able to have this platform until all of this, until this racial reckoning happened. So, um, yeah, what, do you, what are your guys' thoughts on this? Well, I mean, you know, the NBA is one of the, like you said, one of the most watched, uh, you know, programs in the world. And I think for them to come out here, given their very uh, diverse audience, both in terms of uh, race and political standing, for them to come out here and say, we have a problem in America, a problem that only, only you can solve, as in the people collectively, I think for them to say that is honestly very brave, given the fact that, like I've seen, a lot of you know more conservative people or those opposed to the Black Lives Matter movement are now shunning the NBA. Right now, I doubt this is going to lead to you know any sort of financial troubles or anything like that, because you know the NBA is vastly wealthy. But I think the fact that they're willing to stand up for what they believe in on a very personal level is courageous. Yeah, and and if I can also add in. You know, there's been a lot of criticism of this, too, um, directed at the NBA. You know, people have been saying that uh, this is just corporate Black Lives Matter um, and they're just appropriating things and they're just bringing politics into sports. I don't I, I really don't agree with that. I think the NBA is recognizing that their players have um, are very outspoken about legitimate issues and they want to support them. So that's um I just feel like the criticism uh, towards the NBA is just totally unfounded. Of course. And Ronan, uh, if you forgot to mention, the Black Lives Matter movement isn't a political movement. It is just right. a fundamental movement that's saying that in our society today, unfortunately, African-Americans aren't treated to the same level as everyone else and minorities for that matter. So it's just a movement of advocating for their rights and the fact that we should be viewing them differently, which is it's super, super important. It's not a political movement. It's not about being a Democrat, not about being a Republican. It is specifically about uh, letting everyone uh, be equal, you know, and treating yeah, everyone. And it's also, it's also the critics who are actually making it political. They're the ones saying it's political. So it's just kind of a reverse kind of thing there. Well, it's about time to wrap it up for now. As always, thanks for joining us. And remember to follow us on Instagram. I'm Paul. I'm Ronan. And I'm Daniel. And this has been The Blue South. The Blue South is made possible by David Vandalay, who created our theme. And also by the graphic designer who rebranded our logo. You can find him on Instagram at Gustavinsky8. And of course, special thanks to all of our listeners and Instagram followers. You are what keeps The Blue South going.